you got to see it coming. And that's one of the principles behind avoiding no way out situations. You've got to constantly be maintaining a level of intuitive alertness or, or hyperacuity. Enchanted Sky Media. 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 This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. One of the worst situations you can find yourself in, one that leads to a serious pucker factor, is when you realize you're in a no-way-out situation. Of course, if you're here today, you found a way out. But if it was hairy for a few minutes, you'll never forget it. My guest today is here to explain some tactics to avoid getting into a Mayday situation. John Cagno is a retired battalion chief from the North Providence, Rhode Island Fire Department. He was on the job for 35 years serving with North Providence, FEMA Massachusetts Urban Search and Rescue Task Force, and the State of Rhode Island's USAR team. He's a certified fire instructor, too. And John Cagno joins me now. Thanks for being on Code 3 today. Thank you, Scott. It's a privilege and an honor to be here. So let's talk about no-way-out situations. How do firefighters typically end up in that situation in the first place? Well, let, let's start with uh, maybe telling our listeners the difference between a mayday and a no-way-out situation. Basically, maydays are usually occurrences that happen with, without warning. In other words, uh, maybe you have a partial collapse, a sudden change in fire behavior, you know, something that the firefighter might not have had any uh, indications, uh, or maybe, maybe he did, but usually it's something that, that's happened more readily on the fire ground um, or, or, or without warning, I should say. In a no way out situation, basically it's a chain of events, not not dissimilar to what goes on in a May Day, but there's more predictability. In other words, you yourself put yourself in that situation, if you will. So there is a slight difference between what goes on with a firefighter in a May Day in a firefighter that could have avoided a no-way-out situation. So what you're saying is a mayday is a situation that may be thrust upon the firefighter, but no-way-out is one that a bad decision might have led to. Exactly. It's basically a situation that you put yourself into, either by putting yourself in a, an environment uh, that you shouldn't be in, maybe performing a task and overextending yourself. There's a, a lot of different reasons as to why we fall into no-way-out situations. But it, it starts with uh, either seeing or not seeing signs, uh, anomalies, or, or different fire ground indicators that should tell us that, that something's changing and, and, you know, and maybe we should be doing something about that. I usually tell people in my classes that the best way to avoid a no-way-out situation is to start with a thing called actionable intelligence. And actionable intelligence basically started out 
you know, uh, in the military, uh, the FBI uses it, Secret Service. A lot of different agencies use actionable intelligence to gain information. And they do that well in advance of an incident. And when you think of the fire service, we're no different. You know, we do things like pre-plans or walkthroughs. And, you know, we become familiar with the occupancies that we may enter prior to an incident. And that's when you gain some of your actionable intelligence. That's the, the preparatory phase of the actionable intelligence. And then actually when you arrive at an incident, you, there's a lot of indicators you grab just when you're stepping off the rig. Things like the smoke condition, the way the fire is spreading, you know, a lot of different subtle indicators and obvious indicators that can tell you different things that are beginning to happen or things are not happening. And then that progresses as the incident goes along. And the, the purpose of avoiding a no-way-out situation or, or my theory behind it is to use things like actionable intelligence, recognition, prime decision-making, and becoming an intuitive firefighter in general using your senses so whatever task you're performing, you can usually see or, or set something that, that's changing in your environment that will allow you to buy time to not get into a situation that will result in a main day. So it sounds as though what you're saying is that a more experienced firefighter should be less likely to get into these situations in the first place. Yeah, it, you would think so. You would think that a, a street-smart, experienced firefighter would know better. But the problem with that is, you know, experienced firefighters, they can fall into the complacent factor. Sometimes they just think they're vulnerable. They let their egos get in their way. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a young, inexperienced firefighter. It can also be a seasoned firefighter. In fact, I would tend to think that seasoned firefighters fall victim to this more frequently. What is a situation that you would consider no way out? In other words, what's an example of one of these situations? Okay, hypothetical would be you go to a commercial uh, building fire, something that you don't do ordinarily. You pull up, you have a heavy smoke condition. Maybe the building doesn't have uh, many wi windows or... Um, or openings, um, you know, points of exit. And, you know, you enter that building like you would any other maybe residential structure fire. So right away, you're falling victim to the situation. Um, the indicators are there. You, you got a commercial building. So right away, intuitively, you got to start thinking a little differently. You know, getting in or out of this building is going to be a little bit more complex than it is maybe a residential structure where we have you know, numerous windows. Um, so that would be an example of a situation that could get you into uh, into trouble um, and create a no way out situation. The other thing might be uh, roof roof ops, for example. Uh, you know, you you go on a particular roof, um, and there's certain indicators that are telling you things like here in New England. You know, you go on a roof. Uh, maybe it snowed the day before and you notice that there's a large area where the snow is melted, you know, that could be an indicator that the fire is, is right below that, that area. 
so you know you you would want to exhibit a little bit more caution so there's always indicators there's always things that we can grasp as firefighters that intuitively tell us that something is not right and if you keep that alertness level going on with everything that you're doing you'll notice that you can intuitively almost predict you know the chain of events or, or the outcome now, you gave a talk on this at Firehouse World in San Diego, and one of the things that you had mentioned at the time was getting yourself into a no-way-out no situation and then finding a way out using perhaps tools or thinking your way out. There's a lot of different things we can use to our advantage. For example, the, the tool-smart firefighters should always carry you know, more than one tool, uh, you know, depending on uh, whether you're on an engine or truck company. But, you know, we have things that we normally carry with us, uh, whether it be uh, hand lights, knives, some form of, uh, say, uh, lineman's pliers or nips, you know, that we use to to, uh, nibble away at the entanglement situations. We carry webbing, we carry personal rope, some departments offer harnesses and you know, personal escape ropes. So there's, there's tools like that that you can use that'll aid you in uh, escaping a situation that you may encounter. Other things, like when we talk about building construction, for example, if you go to a, a commercial occupancy like a mill, and let's say that mill is 300 feet long by 60 feet wide, and we get disorientated, if you immediately drop down to the deck and you look at the way the flooring goes, direction of the flooring, you, you know, we know that the flooring is perpendicular to floor joists. So if a building is, say, 300 feet long by 60 feet wide, and we drop down and we look at the tongue and groove flooring and we see the direction in which that flows, even if we're at the far end of that 60-foot width, we know that we only have 60 foot of distance to traverse to get out versus 300 feet. So you would you would cross that going perpendicular to the tongue and groove flooring. So that's an example of using, say, a construction feature to aid you in, in, in making an egress. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. What about, for example, if you're in, let's say, a large residential structure? How realistic is it to beat your way out through the drywall or something like that rather than assuming that you're stuck in the room? All right. First of all, everything comes down to your experience level and the amount of times you're trained in these situations. In other words, you can't just take one class in breaching a wall in a residential structure and become proficient with it. This is something that you have to perfect. You have to do it repetitively to the point where it's a skill that's honed where it becomes second nature. So, for example, you do find yourself 
trapped by fire, you're cut off, maybe, uh, you know, you're doing a search and for some reason fire conditions change, you find yourself trapped in a room and, and the heat's dropping and you want to maybe breach the wall to get to an, an, an area of refuge. The only way you can effectively do that is if you've trained yourself to a level of proficiency where you can do that in an, an expeditious manner. If this is the first time that you're doing it, it might result in you getting hung up or, or not perfecting it in time to get yourself out. And the other most important thing is you got to see it coming. And, and that's one of the principles behind avoiding no way out situations. You got to constantly be maintaining a level of intuitive alertness or, or hyperacuity, if you will, to your surroundings, to your environment. So as you see things change, or if things aren't changing, for example, if um, you're in a, uh, a residential fire and, you know, you, you would expect that the engine company has, um, you know, established some form of extinguishment, the truck is shaking shaking up the building and, and smoke should be beginning to lift, but it's not, you know, that that's an anomaly. You know, what's going on? Are they not effectively getting ventilation? Is the engine company not at the seat of the fire? You, you know, right away, anomalies are starting to happen. So at that point, you need to be preparing yourself to take action. And I, and I think what happens is we, we some, for some reason, we get a little bit too comfortable on the fire ground. And then when things start to change, we begin to react. And, and at that point, it's too late. So you need to almost start taking action well before, you know, things really, really get crappy, if you will. You, you, need, you need to be in a format where, you know, you, you can control the outcome. And if you don't, then you're usually reacting out of fear or panic. And we know that fear or panic doesn't work. And the results are usually a negative outcome, either a May Day or, or much worse. Do you think there are a lot of firefighters out there who would recognize that it's time to call a May Day when they're not specifically entrapped? Well, first let me state this. Anytime you feel uncomfortable, anytime that something is making you aware of something that is not favorable, you should transmit a May Day. Because even if you don't find yourself in a predicament, you can always cancel the May Day. The worst thing that you can do is transmit a May Day too late in the operation. So it, it starts with your your threshold, if you will. You have a certain threshold of comfort. I have a certain threshold of comfort. Every firefighter has their own. But unfortunately, on the fire ground, we don't have time to differentiate between pros and cons, things that will help us or things that will hinder us. So if you feel the slightest bit uncomfortable, no matter what task you're performing on the fire ground, by all means, transmit and made at that point and then begin to start a process to get yourself out. But the the principal element here is to not get yourself into them predicaments. I know that's easier said than done, but a lot of times there are indicators right when we, get, we arrive that are telling us that things are not good. 
you know, we talk about reading smoke, reading reading fire conditions on arrival, how companies are performing, um, radio traffic, uh, you, you know, are companies excited on the radio? Are they calm? You know, are they, does things sound comfort? Is is the operation moving in, in a positive direction or a negative direction? All these things you, you need to be gathering in your subconscious mind as you're performing your tasks. So you begin to develop an intuitive sense of where the operation is going as well as where you are and, and what conditions are, are going on around you in your environment. All right. Good advice. John Cagno, thanks for talking with me today. And thank you for the opportunity, Scott. It was a pleasure. And Chief Cagno wrote a book about his career, and we have a link to that and other information on our website at code3podcast.com slash no way out. That's all one word, no way out. Check it out. Now, here comes your trivia question. How many gallons per minute could the FDNY super pumper put out? I'll have the answer right after this. If you've been thinking about making a monthly pledge to support Code 3, we have an even better reason for you to do it now. We've started a new subscriber-only benefit. It's called the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more material from some of our interviews, interesting stuff that didn't make it into the regular show, but only patrons get to hear it. So head over to Code3Podcast.com slash support and make a pledge of $10 a month or more, and you'll get immediate access to the Bull Session. Don't miss it. And here's the trivia answer. The FDNY's super pumper could pump 8,800 gallons per minute. That's an incredible flow. It's enough to fill a typical residential swimming pool in under two minutes. The super pumper ran 2,200 calls between 1965 and 1982. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.